0: Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of HR Radio. I'm Aditi from HRO and today I'm speaking with Andy Jackson, the global CHRO at leading financial information provider Fitch Group, and we're discussing the group's holistic approach to better support its people. Now, it's not news that the pandemic has changed people's priorities. Employees are now more focused on their health and well-being and Companies that fail to meet the new expectations risk losing their best talent amidst the talent war that is now fiercer than ever before. So our interviewee today, Andy Jackson, Chief Human Resources Officer at the Fitch Group, is definitely one of the champions who has successfully led his HR team to elevate the organization's commitment for its people. In fact, the connection between Andy and the Fitch group started even before he officially joined. Prior to Fitch, Andy was the head of consulting at the careers group where he was serving Fitch as one of its clients. He then joined Fitch in uh, 2007 and ranked up to head of human resources for the regions of EMEA and APAC the following year. Now, Andy is spearheading global HR functions for the group. So today in this podcast, let's tap into his in-depth experience at Fitch to find out how the group has led its people through turbulent times and established a better workplace where everyone can thrive. It's an absolute pleasure for us to welcome you here, Andy, and thank you for joining us. How are you?
1: I'm very well, and um, thank you very much for inviting me. It's quite an honor.
0: It's our honor as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Andy, I'm going to go straight into my first question for you today. Now, I think we all agree that the past few years have brought the greatest challenges to all of us. So in such uncertainty, how did Fitch go the extra mile to support employees, especially in the APAC region, during the pandemic?
1: We didn't expect or want the pandemic, um, but we had to react to it. and it enabled us to develop things that we are we will sustain and in a post pandemic world i think make our workplace better so if we think right back to the beginning um of the pandemic the, the first thing is particularly focused on asia as it, it is our most diverse sort of geographic region it's a, a growing region we have 11 um countries represented um so you know right across the region there's a tendency and I, I say this in my experience of managing sort of hr for europe and asia before i managed it globally there is certainly a tendency if, if i may say particularly in us uh, headquartered companies to look at asian as just another region and people need to get there more to see to see how sort of diverse and big it really is to, to put ourselves in the mindset of, of what it was like in 2020 you know not only do we have a, a large employee presence in asia um, but it's one of our fast growing regions. Um, Fitch is a knowledge business, um, an information business. So in a way, we're kind of lucky compared with many other companies in that we we only really have people <laughs> and people who, in theory, can do their jobs from anywhere. However, we have not tested that. Um, we might have had a small proportion of our employees working remotely or in a, a hybrid or flexible way. But the default for Fitch was to be working in the office. So we had um we, we had sort of two real challenges. Um one was to maintain our, if you like, our operational resilience and to 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 keep producing our content and product, which by the way, in the pandemic, as the world gets more uncertain, the demand for financial information and answers goes up. So we were not we were not facing commercial disruption. If, if anything, we were facing increased demand, but a huge operational disruption. Um second is there was a pandemic, and employees were, you know, in, incredibly fearful and concerned. And we were trying to sort of provide our employees with reassurance, the ability to keep doing their jobs, and uh, sort of, you know, I guess comfort, um, so they could focus on work, but also support with new aspects um, that you know that were interfering with their work, such as working at home with family that they hadn't dealt with before. So our, our response really um, was on multiple levels. And it wasn't just HR. I know I'm talking about HR, but I think one of the key things was how different functions had to work together. So in Asia in particular, our HR function, communications function, local risk management, and local management started to meet regularly, almost every day, right at the beginning. And uh, we, we to, to summarize, really, we, we addressed the challenges, um, first of all, by just ramping up and increasing the staff communication. Um, the, the level of communication that was facilitated by Our employee comms function with senior leaders talking to all employees in the business much more frequently so we could give them clarity and reassurance and opportunities to give feedback. We started looking at ways to support physical and mental well-being in in a lockdown scenario. Um, We were implementing sort of obviously the the technology around sort of um, working remotely. Um, And as we started to get people back into the office, which was several months later, how to sort of come back into the office in a, in a sort of safe and controlled way. Supporting care with dependents, that was a, one of the first things we noticed is the, the challenges people had because all of their kids weren't at school. Arranging activities that were essentially much more social and virtual to keep people connected. There were a lot of employees that felt very isolated and very remote, maybe didn't have family at home, but were on their own at home. Um, and then equipping our managers to lead and support. And I think the an example for each one, on the, the communication was a mixture of um arranging town halls both regionally and globally um just increase increasing the connection with senior leaders so uh you know the organization suddenly got very flat <laughs> everyone was talking to each other virtually but we, we wanted to increase that level of communication but also creating peer-to-peer communication sort of networking events what we call things like random coffees so I mean, even things like starting sort of book clubs um people sharing watch lists that was a big deal like what people were watching on tv because there wasn't a lot else to do and you know, employees will be seeing a senior manager from another another location posting what they were watching on Netflix or on our intranet. Anything like that to keep people connected. Um, the enhancements to technology came pretty quickly, but our IT team really stepped up and got everyone working remotely very seamlessly. But we also provided support with employees in terms of uh, just allowances for, to allow them to purchase things um, to keep their home office set up working. Um, I, I guess the big one um, for a HR point of view was looking at dependent care, which is we, we actually started sort of cash allowances uh, later in the year when it was clear that the pandemic was going to last for some time and schools were not going to be rushing back anytime soon. And, and this really varied by location. And I think it was particularly acute in Asia that we, we you know, employees needed some level of financial assistance and help in, in terms of providing various options. And it really varied by family and by country. Um, with increased educational caring expenses, r- rather than asking them to be both teachers and employees and childminders at the same time. Um, as we started to move our way back, we needed to improve. I think our, our access to work to flexible working. Uh, so we we had long discussions that, that about how we would actually operate in a in, in a post pandemic world. So we um, we established a hybrid working um, sort of approach where people aren't. No matter what their location, no matter what their role, they aren't required to be in the office 100% of the time. And we provided flexibility within that to allow employees to um, request, we we have to have a discussion with them, but to at least request an alternative work schedule, either temporarily or ongoing, if that's what they need. Um, We built on sort of well-being programs. We we didn't really, if I'm honest, have a, a true global offering on well-being prior to the pandemic. So we enhanced our employee assistance program, but that's very much a reactive sort of thing that you dial if you, if you want to talk to someone. We augmented it with a, a company we'd started to partner with, which are called Unmind. And, and they go a lot further than just a reactive well-being service. they they like an online portal uh, that, that has a huge range of content, and we ma- made sure that was rolled out globally. And then we also started to further, we, we have um, a group of employees that we call our mental health first aiders. We started that initiative pre-pandemic, but we we, we upped it um, throughout the pandemic. And, and now we have about 40 globally. And these are employees that actually have accredited training, um, not therapists. Uh, they don't have that responsibility, but just someone that employees could talk to who is a peer, who is you know, a friendly person who can listen, but also can signpost them and help them get a new perspective and think about things. So it's an alternative to talking to HR. It's an alternative to phoning an anonymous EAP service. or or looking at an unmined app on their phone, it's actually another colleague who can empathise, but who can also sort of point them in the right direction. We try to make sure that we have the same principles about how we treat our employees globally. But there are certain situations in the pandemic is one of them where things were just different. So in particular, people in Hong Kong and North Asia and China had far more restrictions than maybe our employees in the US did. So we provided specific care packages that would enable them to overcome those restrictions. So those were specific allowances sort of focused on the, the Hong Kong employees and including enabling them finally, you know, to, to be able to sort of um, travel but also cope with the sort of quarantine obligations as well. Um, a little different in North, you know, in, in China, um, particularly in Shanghai, that it was the sort of the acute lockdowns that came after the first wave of the pandemic finished, but we had um, employees that were caught up in those. So we were actually sort of sending care packages like food, food to their houses. And also we had... Sort of specific things like the comms team organising sort of online yoga things to sort of get people out of their seats because what we notice is the tendency for employees is just to work. It's really all they got as a focus. We we don't want to take advantage of that. We we're the ones actually encouraging people to stop working uh, at different times and sort of take a break. We we've sort of come out of the, the pandemic on the other side. The, um, there's a number of things we've kept. I already mentioned how we're doing um, sort of flexible working. We've actually maintained and increased the um, the allowance for people to to sort of you know kit out their home office uh, and sort of buy equipment, and we um, we've introduced what we call location flex. Which we have many employees that um, are not in their home country. They're working in a you know in, in a new country. And we allow people up to four weeks a year to work remotely. Now, some of them could just choose to work that the time at home, but some of them use that time to go back to you know, the country where they're from, and they can work from that location as well for up to four weeks a year. The, the key thing now is that we're learning how to work in a hybrid environment. Even though we've been doing it for a year or so, um, it places slightly different demands on both managers and employees. We, we still have 100% focus on our people because our people are the only asset we have and ensuring that they can work in the new environment uh, which i think is a you know an ongoing learning for us
0: well thank you so much i loved your response because you actually filled it with so many examples now we have entered the endemic era across the asia pacific and people are now more conscious of their health and their well-being so would you like to highlight some of the initiatives in terms of how fitch is continuing to support employees on well-being for the long term
1: um and well-being we we have to look at really holistically or the, the tendency um for businesses and i include Fitch in this is to focus first on what's most acute and so what came from the pandemic was was pretty much mental health and 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 i think that that's that important and it's something that companies probably hadn't thought about enough but it really is only one one sort of pillar if you like of, of, the, of the the well-being strategy so um a, a few more sort of examples of what we're thinking about now um the, I mentioned the the you know the, the group of employees that the volunteers that we trained up as called mental health first aiders. We actually have more volunteers than before, so that the challenge is really sort of expanding on that. But it's also sort of building on what I mentioned as the the employee assistance and the unmind offerings. The real challenge with well being is it's not something where an isolated employee is really in the best position to sort of think about themselves. So we're, we're beginning to explore. Um, I'll, I'll give them a mention on this podcast, but. Uh, with, with a company called Quan, who are a startup, and they're different because they take an approach to well-being which is complementary to all of the information resources. Because they focus on the team, and so it's not about well-being as an individual thing; it's well-being as it, like connected to team performance. And they have a science-based approach, which is that a team that is conscious of its well-being collectively is a better-performing team. But we're we're now running a pilot um, with over like. 15, 20, I think 20 teams where we're going to see if this resource is something we can add to our, to our portfolio. And the idea there is that in, instead of sort of individual seeking help um, and waiting for there to be an acute situation, people talk about what I call ongoing wellbeing issues just in terms of a team dynamic. So the manager actually sort of leads these discussions, which, and you just get together every few months and. The reason why we it's focused on the manager and the team is that they are actually empowered to make small changes to how they work. It could be things like when meetings are, it could be the cascade of information and how they set up projects that actually sort of, you know, in in a hybrid environment work for all of them. So obviously the manager is still in charge, but the team have a say. And the idea is collectively, they make small adjustments that that you know might avoid big well-being issues that are invisible now because people aren't all in the office together. Um The other is is something to happen yet, but we actually will have a formal well-being strategy as a company. So something that's global and something employees and potential employees can see. And we we launched a a new DEI strategy last year. And our well-being strategy is really, you know, it's to come. But we we want to pull together the activities and give them a framework. Um, And the five pillars of the well-being strategy will be social, outside work. But the social aspect of work is I think, underrated in terms of its impact on employees' well-being. Um, employees care about their colleagues fundamentally. Um, that's their first connection with the company, their colleagues, their team, their manager. Um, balance, work-life balance, which is really about sort of mental well-being and making sure there's a healthy balance um, that's about the non-work aspects. Physical, um, something that, you know, goes beyond the traditional gym membership. I and mean, we, we, we've had a sort of explosion in sort of peer-to-peer Strava groups and people during lockdown that, you know, Virtual running together. We want to keep supporting that and actually have the company facilitate it. Um, and then, career well-being, sort of like this is something that HR think they're good at. We want to make sure we're communicating it as part of well-being, as employees feel they have the resources to grow in their roles and see a future for themselves and the company. And lastly, financial well-being, something we kind of provide already in terms of you know where we're you know providing general advice to employees around benefits, like we might have a pension in some countries, but something that is actually global. And that is, you know, we're we're not going to set ourselves up as financial advisors. um, But and I think we're we're wrong to assume in a financial services company that everyone has got the same level of financial knowledge.
0: It really shows that uh, well-being is a journey. It's not a destination.
1: I I absolutely agree. And if if I may just add to that, I think the the worst thing we can do with well-being is pretend to be experts um it's a conversation with employees um that the last thing is you know we're, we're trying to increase the 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 ways in which employees can give us feedback um about about how they're feeling um because uh, and and that's something that the 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 exercise with pom will also give us because if we have enough teams doing exercises like this the if you like the the meta feedback can indicate where teams are struggling in in some parts of the business and where they're not in others
0: so you know, what can your current and your potential workforce really look forward to in the years, in the months to come, or what can they really benefit from at a, with a career at the Fitch Group?
1: The DEI strategy is, um, it's a, a big a big event for us. We launched it last year. It actually has uh, over 50 immediate objectives to roll out in, in, in the next sort of few years. I, I think the key thing with the global DEI strategy is that diversity, equity, and inclusion means slightly different things in different parts of the world. But at the same time, if the company is going to say that they're universal principles, we, we we need to make some changes in terms of sort of establishing what I would call fundamental or core um, principles and, and benefits and you know uh, you know things employees can all access regardless of where they are. So therefore, um, launching something like a, I already mentioned our hybrid working policy, but allowing whatever the sort of baseline employee rights are in each country but saying well at Fitch, we want everyone to have the ability to request an alternative work schedule so so some of this isn't new but it's just taking a different approach to make sure that employees understand that they you know that, that we can try and provide a, a global and holistic approach is one so I, I would go back to the um even though it's you know i've mentioned it in the context of hybrid the ability we're very acutely um aware of the pressures on people at different stages in their life and one place we've started that I think is is universal for DEI because you know one thing that's common everywhere is is, you know the gender disparity in senior levels another thing that's common everywhere is the challenges faced by people trying to start a family um and and raise a family and that that you know increasingly is not a burden just shared by women but it historically has been so providing um sort of the flexibility to enable people to balance work and life and also meeting DEI goals, i.e. retaining women and increasing the number of, of women in senior positions who can keep their career pitch, I think you get this intersection around sort of supporting people with family care. So one is about flexibility in the workplace. But the other um, recent change this year that came from our DEI strategy is taking a second look at the benefits we provide for working parents and particularly new parents. So we have recently launched, um, and this is the first time Fitch has actually put this into practice, a global minimum standard for a, a benefit around parental support and parental leave. Prior to that, it was sort of tailored to each market and driven by what competitors were doing and what the market standard was and what local legislation was. But we're now saying that no matter where you are in the world as a Fitch employee, if you're the birth parent or adoptive parent, we will give you the same minimum level of paid leave. Now, some countries might already offer more but it brings the the baseline up so there's a minimum standard of, of 16 weeks and then all parents including the birth parent but also you know uh, the, the other parent um can have 10 weeks uh, paid leave as well um for parental leave as well so that that's been sort of released um in the last few months we're working obviously on a local policy that each country can sort of refer to but they know that there's a global principle uh, and a global standard and that extends beyond just the benefit like leave. It's also about the, the commitments we make about reintegrating people into their careers after they've taken the leave to make sure that people are comfortable uh, and particularly, you know, uh, male employees that may not have had this benefit before, that they, they feel that there is no um sort of barrier or stigma to their career if they take an extended period of leave. So we'll, we'll go further on this to sort of look at what we can do regardless of where people are in the world and regardless, obviously, of of their gender, their background, um, you know, their race, to make sure that people feel that there there is a level playing field in terms of getting sort of equal career opportunities at the company. And by by providing that level of equity and inclusion, we hope to get the diversity that we're targeting with our strategy.
0: That's fantastic. I think one thing that's been really clear to me is how holistic every strategy is that you are rolling out for your workforce. And not just holistic; it's multi-level. You're targeting the issues or the challenges across a range of um, opportunities that can, um, you know, help in the long term. So, uh, I have to admit, it's it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andy.
1: Well, thank you for letting me come and speak about Fitch. Really appreciate it.